0: Hi, Steminists. This is Emily Gremlin here with a quick correction before the episode. So, a listener emailed us about the last episode where we talked about some research showing that male PIs rarely co author papers with women in ecology, whereas female PIs co author papers with other women 60% of the time. In this episode, I mentioned that there is a tendency for female led labs to have more women in them. I used the term natural to describe this tendency, which the listener pointed out is the wrong term because it suggests that there is something right and correct about this tendency and discrepancy. She correctly points out that this discrepancy can be caused by women not feeling included or feeling unsafe in male PI labs, leading to more women being in female-led labs. There are some interesting articles about this that the listener provided that we'll post with this app if you want to learn more about this issue in STEM. Additionally, I said that co-authorship was quote, sex-biased in both ways. Although bias has negative connotations in colloquial terms, as our listener pointed out in her email, I was using it scientifically to mention that the data is sex-biased, rather than that both female and male PIs prejudice against the opposite sex. So that's something to be aware of if you aren't coming from a scientific background, that scientists use the term biased in a way to describe the data, and it doesn't come with any inherent value judgment. So I just wanted to clear up those things. And if you, dear listeners, have feedback yourself that you want to give us, you can always email us at stemfatalpod at gmail.com. All right, on to the show. By circa 1820, she ran
1: a fossil stu-
0: All right, welcome back. This is Stem Vital, your Women in Science History podcast. Woo! Hey, Emlyn. Guess what? What?
1: We're both doctors. Yeah, yeah. Emma,
0: Emma just defended this week, so we took a we took last week off because we needed it desperately. Yeah, and Emma had defended last week. So. Yeah, and you
1: like just moved and started a new <laughs> job and a whole new life in Georgia, so.
0: Yeah, so we needed a little acclimation time. But um, hey, now
1: everybody better freaking believe everything we say. <laughs> Every word we say. Because we're officially now experts on everything because mm-hmm. of our new titles. Yeah. It's not like I'm if... an expert on the microbiome of one spider. I'm an expert on everything. <laughs> you have heart disease? I can help. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, no, no. I take it all back. If we're on a plane lives. and they call for a
0: doctor, we can, we are qualified. Yeah, except,
1: you know, we're qualified to just go, hey, that person needs a doctor. <laughs> that person looks very ill. Hey, somebody get a doctor. I'm a doctor. I know that this person needs a doctor. Start so sounding like do. you're from
0: Long Island. Hey, oh, you know what? It's. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's because I've been, um, it, so I'm taking like, I've taken one or two days just to kind of recuperate after Mm -hmm. family and celebration and whatever. And I've been watching like season two and three of Real Housewives of New York. (laughs) Nice. So there's a lot of like, (laughs) Bobby, (laughs) like, uh, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. There's it. a lot of great yeah. accents, but maybe I'm picking up on it too much or something.
0: No, no, just enough, I think.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess I'm uh, Dr. Emma Dilemma. And I'm Dr.
0: Emlyn Gremlin.
1: Yeah, and here we are.
0: <laughs> we're here. We're ready to tell you about historical women in science.
1: Yeah, and we're doing this um, from afar. We're recording... You know,
0: we're not in the same place. mm So we're trying this out. <laughs> Hopefully it goes well. Yeah. If I mean, not, you'll never hear this episode, so.
1: Right. It'll just be in our minds. Mm-hmm. Like most things. Just, <laughs> I guess, whatever that means. Um, oh, yeah. How are you and, doing, Emma? <laughs> and it's a special episode because mm-hmm. we're kind of
0: uh, trying out a new format. We are. Yeah, so this, there's a bunch of women that we've come across that just don't have enough information for a whole episode. Yeah. But they've still contributed significantly to science in some important way. And so um, this week, each of us are doing kind of a mini, a shorter episode about a woman whose history is far less fleshed out than some others. Like... You know, a lot
1: – I mean, the, the person that I chose, at least, it's like I see her name on all these lists of women in science, important women in science. And then I'd go to start researching her, and there's no primary literature anywhere about her. It's all just people kind of repeating the same stories and facts, and they're interesting, but I really can't flesh it out into something longer or – You know, none of her PhD is published because it's in another language or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So hopefully you guys like these shorter, um, these shorter stories and, you know, maybe we'll inspire someone to go, some science historian to go research them more and maybe flesh out their stories a little bit. That'd be cool.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, how do we want to figure out who goes first? You can go first. <laughs> okay. Well, that's easy enough. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So, Emma, I do have a question. Oh, sure. I you. didn't do that. Okay. Okay. But yeah, that's I'm a- ready. Have you heard about the Epstein Barr virus? Yes. Okay. So, today we're going to talk about one of the scientists who discovered this virus, Dr. Yvonne Barr. Oh. Okay hmm. All right, you ready? Are you not, bu- buckled um, up?
1: It's not named after Roseanne Barr from the show Who's Roseanne? Roseanne Barr.
0: <laughs> oh, <the> no. show. <laughs> I, probably
1: not. Oh, yeah, sorry. Bad joke. Doesn't even make sense. <laughs>
0: okay, yeah, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> good, good, good. All right, so uh, Yvonne Barr was born in the Pembroke district of. Carlo in the Republic of Ireland in 1932. Whoa. And she graduated from honors in zoology from Trinity College Dublin. Okay. So this I've is heard gonna, of that. this can give you kind of a sense of how much information I've got to work with. I got yeah. her birthday and <laughs> her college. <laughs> the college, not even the date. Right. Yeah. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So that's this is what we're working with. Okay. So after she Graduated with her bachelor's. She joined Michael Anthony Epstein's team at the Bland Sutton Institute of Pathology at the University of London uh, at the Middlesex Hospital in 1963, where she worked on pathology and virology. Okay. So Epstein, the head of the lab, had previously worked on viruses that cause tumors in chickens. Okay. So... When he went to a lecture by Irish doctor Dennis Burkett, uh, entitled, The Commonest Children's Cancer in Tropical Africa... The communist? Uh, he had an idea. Huh? The communist? The, co- <laughs> the communist. Oh, the most, most common. Com- <laughs> <laughs> the m- the most socialist communist. children's cancer. <laughs> uh, uh, that's, I was like, what the heck? Like... <laughs> All right, go on. Right. <laughs> okay, so uh, Doctor Burkitt said that they were having a very high number of tumors around the jawbone of children okay. in specific regions in Africa with high temperature and high rainfall. Oh, and okay. this is what's known as Burkitt's lymphoma,
1: right? These, okay, these
0: uh, cancers around the face because I guess it infects the like lymph node area, right? Yeah. But at the time, little was actually known about this um, cancer that was popping up in children. And so Epstein believed that this might be another example of virus induced tumors. So Epstein asked for some samples of these tumors to Uh be sent to his lab uh, in England. So these samples were flown overnight from Uganda to England. And for two years, they had no success, or Epstein had no success in isolating virus from these lymphoma samples Mm -hmm. so he was really convinced that a virus was causing yeah um, these cancers specific especially i what he thought was that there was some insect vector oh transmitting the virus yeah that makes sense between individuals and that's why you were only finding this in high temperature high rainfall areas yeah okay So, Epstein thought that perhaps if he could actually grow these tumor cells in vitro, meaning in isolation, then the latent cancer virus might be activated once the tumor cells were no longer under the influence of host defenses. So, essentially, they were getting these, like, um, tissue cultures, but they weren't able to get the actual tumor cells to grow separately. And so... He thought that might help. Weird. Okay. So at this time, it was not believed that lymphoma cells could actually be cultured. Right. Yeah. So this is where our lady of the hour comes in. <gasps> yeah. Barr. Because bar, I've been talking bar. about this old man <laughs> for a while. So in the summer of 1963, Epstein received a U.S. National Institute of Health grant and hired a young scientist named Yvonne Barr. So she had experience after her, either during her bachelor's or after her bachelor's, Mm -hmm. she had experience culturing cells um, in veterinary and medical research establishments in both the UK and Canada. I couldn't find anything about working in Canada. So just one source said she worked there. That's really weird. But... I know. So little information. I wonder... So at the
1: same... Yeah. I mean, I guess, like... Unless someone's kind of famous during their time and someone's interviewing them, Mm -hmm. where is that information going to come from? I don't know. Yeah. Records, I guess, out of college or something. But anyway, interesting. Okay. Okay.
0: So at the same time, uh, Yvonne Barr enrolled as a graduate student with Epstein as she started working on the system. And she was in charge of tending to the Burkitt lymphoma culture cells as they ca- came in from Uganda. Oh, wow. So, according to uh, Yvonne, the lymphoma cells arrived in these like green thermos flasks, and Yvonne would try to culture them immediately by growing them in teeny glass insulin bottles. Oh, wow. And every, and every day, Yvonne would try to culture. These cells and try to observe them growing, but with no success, uh, these cells just wouldn't grow. So she they could maintain them for a while, but they Uh weren't getting new cells. Yeah, like replication. Um, Yeah. mm -hmm. However, when a new shipment of lymphoma cells were sent to London, there was a London fog that forced the plane to be diverted to Manchester, which was two hundred miles away from London. So here the samples. A sample taken from the upper jaw of a nine-year-old girl with Burkitt lymphoma were kind of trapped, um, trapped in Manchester. And the culture, once they finally got it to London, looked completely awful. And Epstein Ugh. said that the fluid looked cloudy, suggesting Ugh. that it had been contaminated on the way. Okay. So they pretty much thought that it was a lost cause, this culture. Yeah. And... But when they looked under a microscope, they found that the fluid was cloudy because the lymphoma cells actually had suspended in the media and were growing um, rather than... Sit- Usually they were- would sit on kind of the edges okay. of the bottle and not grow. But they had actually, based on some type of turbulence or the duration that they'd been kind of out, yeah. they suspended in the media and were actually starting to grow. Yeah, oh, interesting. So at this point, Barr was able to maintain these cultures of lymphoma cells in suspension. And this was the 26th biopsy they'd received. Oh, my God. So 25, the first 25, they hadn't been able to culture.
1: I wonder why um, this one was different. Was it the London yeah. fog or, like, the time in the airplanes or mm-hmm. or something? I don't
0: know. Yeah, something that I... I from what I understand, these cells only grow in suspension. And so I think somehow they got suspended. Weird. Okay. During this trip. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's really crazy. Yeah. So, according to Yvonne Barr, on New Year's Eve, the cultures, she says, were glistening a sign of life. The cells grew up and the first Burkitt's lymphoma-derived cell line was christened EB1. E for Epstein, B for Barr Uh. uh, was established. So, this EB1 uh, culture of lymphoma is actually still growing to this day. Wow, that's crazy. And Barr and Epstein then were able to culture additional... Lymphoma tumors yeah. called EB2 and EB3 following this new protocols of detaching the cells and growing right. them in suspension. And once they'd cultured uh, enough material and had tried multiple different ways to identify the virus, um, they still weren't able to actually see any virus in these uh, lymphoma yeah. cells. Mm-hmm. So, in collaboration with this guy named um, Bert Akong, a C H O N G, who's okay. a Trinidadian pathologist. Epstein and Bert were able to look at the cultured lymphoma cells under the electron microscope. And as soon as they actually had enough lymphoma cells to look under the, this electron microscope, yeah. they were able to clearly see that um, these cells were filled with herpes virus. Whoa. And so at the time, there was, like, five herpes viruses known, and so Epstein could, like, they could clearly tell that this was a herpes virus. Wow, okay. So now we know that roughly 95% of people have been exposed to the Epstein-Barr herpes virus across the world. And most are asymptomatic. However, um, EBV, Epstein-Barr virus, can manifest itself in a wide variety of ways. Yeah. So mononucleosis is caused by EBV. Mm -hmm. Thinking back on why these children in Uganda were getting tumors from this virus, which is generally asymptomatic, they discovered that the tumors were occurring in (laughs) children with chronic malaria. Oh, okay. Weird. um, Which is most prevalent in these kind of you know, hot, tropical areas. And that was causing their immune systems to be compromised so gotcha. that the I virus see. could then cause these, like, bigger effects and oh cause my these gosh. tumors.
1: That's crazy.
0: And so while Sarah Stewart, who we've talked about previously yeah. in an episode, was the first scientist to show that cancer-causing viruses can spread from animal to animal, mm-hmm. Epstein and Barr were the first to show that viruses could cause cancer in humans. Yeah, I kind of remember reading a lot about epstein barr or
1: seeing it referenced a lot when I was reading about Sarah Stewart,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: even, like, later in her career, I think she did something about isolating it, or I don't know, she studied it later in her career, but gotcha. I
0: didn't, like, read that much about it. Yeah, but that's really
1: interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So EBV causes not just Burkitt's lymphoma, but causes like a bunch of other Uh kinds of lymphoma. So like Hodgkin's lymphoma and other cancers. And I didn't realize that 15 to 20 percent of all cancers are caused by viruses. I didn't know that either. Which I guess like HPV is an example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, EBV. But even like getting
1: cancer from HPV is pretty rare, isn't it? That's what I thought. No, I think
0: it's relatively common. Oh dang. I think that's why they the the vaccine was the vaccine made. is yeah. so people are push it so much right. because Yeah. Um women I think women especially can get like right uterine cancer and stuff like yeah. that.
1: Yeah. Um hmm, There's HPV. I guess there's lymphoma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: But, Interestingly, during the height of the AIDS epidemic, they were finding that gay men were coming down with Burkitt's lymphoma. So that's the those tumors on the face, um, which was mostly unheard of in America. Right. Like Burkitt's lymphoma was mostly only seen in like Uganda and (laughs) Uh um, tropical Africa. But yeah, it was also caused because their immune systems were being suppressed by AIDS. Mm -hmm. And then the... Uh, ebv was able to kind of manifest as a cancer
1: yeah i guess it does sort of make sense that viruses are like such a big cause of cancer because they're probably Mm -hmm. mutating your dna i mean they're messing with your dna when they replicate right so yeah i could see how that could result in mutations and weird things that cause your cells to like uh divide uncontrolled pretty much yeah, that's really, wow.
0: I, I tried to flesh out the story by kind of giving the background and, like, more information about what was happening and the importance of EBV, but really we don't know very much about uh, Yvonne Barr Right. besides what I've said. So, like, okay. we know that she made specific contributions to the discovery of yeah. EBV by culturing these lymphoma cells for the first time. Yeah. Um. But we don't know after she got her P- she got her PhD from the University of London in 1966, and yeah. then she moved to Melbourne, Australia, <laughs> where she married um, this man, Stuart Balding, and had two children. And like that was pretty much all I could find out. Yeah, but then I found one book that said that she that actually said what she did. She spent the next 20 years teaching science and math oh. at state schools cool. until 1993 in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and then Dr. Barr died in on February 13th, 2016. Yeah. And there's a little video in honor of, like, the 50th anniversary of the discovery of EBV, yeah. where she made a little video to send to this EBV conference. And I'll, I'll post a link to that. But she talks a little bit more about the discovery and kind of the atmosphere around the building that she was working in during this time. But yeah. there's so little about her yeah it was kind of insane like there's so much about epstein and there's so many like books and interviews with him and there's no interviews with her wow and there's no real he doesn't like he mentions her and says kind of her contributions but it isn't elaborated at all yeah it's just i find it kind of remarkable how big of a deal ebv is and how little people have actually tried to find out more about Yvonne Barr
1: yeah I mean did he like stay researching the virus for a long time or something yeah that could be part of it like she kind of disappeared in a sense like moved to uh, across the world and Mm -hmm. stopped researching perhaps maybe she was still Mm -hmm. researching while she's teaching but um yeah I mean that was probably a a big part of it, but it is also yeah. kind of like, and I guess there was an email then. So it would have been harder to reach out for an interview or something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Online. Sure.
1: Or, yeah. So <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah, that's really oh, yeah, interesting. That's I never Barr. knew who the Epstein or the bar were for that. So <laughs> now, you know, yeah, your turn. <laughs> All right. My story is a lot shorter. Uh, Well, you'll see why, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But some of it is that, um, yeah, it's a little bit more uh, straightforward, I guess, but also very mysterious.
0: (laughs) Interesting. I'm intrigued.
1: Yeah, it's hard to explain. Okay. Are you ready, though? I am so ready. So, I don't have a question, and I'm not going to come up with one on the spot. (laughs) But they're so good when you do. Um, okay. Then let me see. Okay. Have you ever, do you know, um, <laughs> this is so bad. <laughs> okay. No, I can't ask that. All right. I'm just going to start.
0: Okay. I'm so intrigued though. But... Okay.
1: So the, the woman that I want to talk about who, Emlyn, I've started to research her like 10 times. So that's kind of why I wanted to do this. Cause I was like, I gotta just get this over with, so I never start researching at her again and go down a rabbit hole. of there's still nothing there, you know.
0: Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, her name is Samira Musa. Have you seen okay. her name on lists? Not really. Okay, I don't know. Um, so Samira was born in the Garbia Governorate of Egypt in 1917. And she grew up with her father in Cairo. Um, Her mother died when she was really young of cancer. Um, But her father raised her and he was a political activist and supposedly pushed her to pursue education. This is all, there's no citations for any of this anywhere. So, you know, (laughs) the things that I'm going to say need citation, basically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just FYI. Okay, she went to college, so again, that's it. Now she's in college. <laughs> Great. The years for all of this are not – like, the timeline is not clear to me because some things are like she got her bachelor's in 1939 and other things are like she got her PhD in 1939. I have no idea what's what. Um But around 1939 <laughs> or before or after 1939 – um, she went to college at Cairo University, and she obtained a bachelor's of science there in radiology. And okay. let's see, after, and she was really interested, I think, in finding a cure for cancer because her mother had died from cancer. Gotcha. After undergrad, she moved to England, don't know what school, but things say she moved to England and got her <laughs> PhD. And while there, she researched the effects of x-ray radiation on a variety of materials and was especially interested in using radiation to stop cancer. During this time, she worked to make x-ray technology a lot cheaper and easier to use. So x-rays were currently being used just mostly to say, like, look, this person's bones are broken, like, where are they broken, um, mm-hmm. just sort of that kind of imaging technology, but they were very clunky and, um, very expensive for hospitals to have x-ray machines. And she was like, uh, interested in making that technology a lot cheaper, basically, so that hospitals everywhere could have them. And, um, and she was interested in making them more efficient too. So one thing she did was develop an equation uh, that showed cheaper metals like copper could be split to produce nuclear energy. So, you know, how somehow this related to the x-ray technology. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know enough. Like, honestly, every article about her is just so uh, not fleshed out. And like, yeah, yeah. Um, there's kind of I don't know, maybe this is a little bit different, but essentially she found a cheaper way to produce nuclear energy, which at the time garnered a lot of attention less for medical technology and more for nuclear bombs, which were being produced by countries Mm -hmm. starting World War II uh, because this was the early 1940s.
0: I'm sure that wasn't Super exciting for her. Yeah, like, she no, was... I'm trying to help improve, like, cancer diagnosis and exactly. not create yeah. more cancer. <sighs> she
1: also Anyways. worked on things like finding solutions to it, the need for shorter exposure times, hmm. easier fluoroscopic procedures. I don't know what that means. Improving the <laughs> flexibility of x-ray beams... And decreasing patient exposure and increasing the mobility of the machines. So these are all things like she helped improve about x-ray technology, but like there was no citation for this. You know, maybe if I looked into the history of flexibility of x-ray beams, there would be something about her research, but I don't think a lot of her research has ever been published. And so it's confusing to me even if she did these things in England or in Cairo. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah. So let's see. Um, despite all of this, and, and she became actually pretty famous around this time for her discovery of how to split cheaper metals to produce nuclear energy – while in England, I think she organized a conference called Atomic Energy for Peace because she wasn't interested in using this, you know, discovery of hers for war. And this conference, in this conference, she basically called on scientists to research ways to decrease the dangers of nuclear energy while increasing their affordability and use in treatment of diseases like cancer. And she's quoted everywhere for saying, "I'll make nuclear treatment as available as cheap and as cheap as aspirin." So that was really her life goal: was to make like Mm -hmm. radiation therapies um, available and affordable for all people. And people really like. I think she was quite beloved in Egypt, um, and she became pretty well known around the world during this time. After getting her PhD, I assume she was invited to become a lecturer at Cairo University and eventually moved her way up to assistant professor, and it could have been during this time some of this research happened, but I'm not sure. In the early 1950s, she received a Fulbright scholarship for her work and was invited to the U.S. to meet with different nuclear energy research teams. Uh, so this was, you know, during the Cold War when all these different places were developing different nuclear arms. As part of this trip, she was invited to visit some big atomic facilities in California, which angered a lot of Americans because she would be the first non-citizen to visit those places. However, I mean, I I don't know who's following this, but I guess, like, people knew she was going to visit it. It's really... And I think it was just maybe Egypt-American relations weren't great at that time. I don't know much uh-huh. about the history of that specific country relationship. Um, let's see. However, and I can't tell the exact timeline of this either, but either right before or right after her visit, and she was in California still, but this was either right before or right after she went to see those facilities. She died in a car crash when the car she was in was run off of a cliff. And every article I found about her mentions that this crash is very mysterious, and there are a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding the crash, yeah, and basically some people think that the U.S. government or someone killed her, basically, because oh she was visiting these really top-secret labs and, yeah. She that, knew too much? I guess. Um Even some articles claim that her invitation to see the facilities was faked as a way to get her to California to assassinate her.
0: But, what, did, so, did she go to the facilities before she was killed, or was it on her way? I don't remember what you said. I don't know. Like, I okay. don't remember. But it
1: was either right before or right after, basically. So, anyway, it's really weird. And there's even things like, oh, the driver of the car was never found. Like, so there's all these strange conspiracy <laughs> theories surrounding her death. But honestly, I'm like... That seems a little far fetched to me to be, mm-hmm. I, but I don't know. I really wish there was just more information about her research and why she was invited there, and and just why even this would be so controversial. But every article just kind of quotes every other article that says yeah. the same thing, and a lot of her research was never published from what I can tell. It was more just like maybe presented at meetings or she would just go to hospitals and tell them how to implement her studies, essentially. But not a lot of actual publications came out. So it's there's just not that much there. And I want to know more. It seems like such an interesting story and especially a lot of interesting politics around mm-hmm. her research at the time. So...
0: But that's it. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder if some of her work was classified. Like part of the reason why none of it's published is that. Yeah. If it was during World War Two, is that what you said?
1: Yeah, during or, around that time. Yeah,
0: during World War Two
1: and after World War Two. So.
0: Yeah, it's like deep in the Cold War or World War Two. If she's yeah. doing anything on nuclear stuff, I wonder if she just. It's was classified and hasn't been declassified the stuff. Some of it. Yeah. I mean,
1: I think she's like kind of famous in some parts, at least in science um, circles in Egypt.
0: Hmm. But Mm -hmm.
1: I think her death too was very like people in Egypt were like, Oh, the U S assassinated. Like it's, that's where a lot of those stories come from perhaps. Um, so yeah, there might be something more to the story that we don't know about because it is classified information or research that Egypt and the US were trying to share, but she was really not interested in nuclear energy for war, so yeah. I don't I I can't imagine her purposefully researching those things,
0: you know. But I think maybe anything to do with nuclear True power yeah. at that period of time might have been under the purview of like classified yeah, that's true. material yeah
1: anyway that's, that's crazy. her story even though it's kind of really mysterious like i don't know when dates are for anything i don't even know <laughs> where her wikipedia article came from because it's like citing this one like these couple weird articles that i'm like i don't even know if these are real facts
0: <laughs> like yeah. i can't
1: fact check any of it so um it's kind of strange That's strange but she i've seen her name on a lot of things all going back to like one paragraph article about her <laughs> so it's all just like geez you so know? much
0: telephone
1: it's like someone knows something so where is this information originating from that's yeah. what I would like to know. I would like to know more about her. If people, I mean, people alive, she could still be alive today. She'd be pretty old, but she'd be like 100, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like it can't be that hard. If you know that she got her PhD in a, like, in the UK. Yeah, right? So like, that would be in Shouldn't English. there be records of that? Yeah.
1: I don't even know what college she went to, though, so... It's like looking in the UT library, you know, online library under her name, I couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the the place I would start, but maybe yeah. someone at a UK university has seen her her name at their school. So that would be interesting if anybody if anybody has heard of her, knows any more facts about her life, you know. Put it in her Wikipedia page. Yeah. If you
0: see something, say, say
1: something. something. <laughs> That's so so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, but I don't yeah. know. And her death, I think, is why her name comes up a lot still,
0: mm-hmm.
1: is because it was so like mysterious and maybe used by the Egyptian government to increase political tensions between mm-hmm. Egypt and the U.S. Um, even though it could have totally just been an accident too, yeah. But the driver's crazy. body wasn't found. Like, there's so many conspiracy theories. It's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Oh man, that was good. I like yeah. that.
1: A little mystery, <laughs> some science, but some it's-
0: science, some intrigue.
1: Yeah, it seems like she did uh, make nuclear energy cheaper and kind of started spreading ideas about um, scientists, you know, using science for good and nuclear power for good. But but she didn't, you know, fulfill all of her her dreams necessarily. But we know Mm -hmm. now that radiation is used pretty widespread for treating cancer, so...
0: Um, It's a very cancer heavy episode. I know, accidentally. (laughs) Well, (laughs) given that, I (laughs) hope you all all enjoy the rest of your day. (laughs) Yeah. If you liked this kind of new format, I don't think we're not going to exclusively go to this. No, no. But occasionally we'll both find some woman scientist that doesn't have enough information. So we might have a occasionally kind of drop these in when we want to talk about some cool women that we've found that just don't have enough information to have a whole episode on so let us know what you think and (laughs) (laughs) or don't uh let
1: us know what you think (laughs) in a very constructive
0: yeah in a nice (laughs) polite way yeah tent or tender How do we do this? So as always, if you liked this episode, if you want to give us feedback, please rate, review, subscribe. Yeah. You can always email us with comments at stemfatalpod mm-hmm. or tweet at us at stemfatalpod. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we like constructive feedback.
1: Yeah.
0: Always. Yeah. Um, and thanks, of course, to Caitlin Friesen for our awesome art and yeah. to Artichoke for our theme music. And as always, you can go stimulate, stimulate yourself. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> By circa 1820,
1: she ran a fossil store. She put the bones together for the characters and scientists.